Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Today is Congregational Authority, Function, and Obligation. Congregational Authority, Function, and Obligation. Let's ask for the Lord for, uh, to help us. It will be in Galatians, 2 Timothy, 1 Corinthians, and Hebrews today. Four primary passages. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we need wisdom and we need direction as always. And God, I pray that you would work perfectly through imperfect preaching. Help me to be as faithful as I possibly can be to your word. God, I thank you that we don't come as simply consumers for religious goods and services. We come to contribute to the body of Christ. You have gifted each one of us in unique ways to play our part. And our part today may simply be to smile and say hello and to be a voice of encouragement to somebody. And my role today is to stand up and preach the passage. And yet, we're both valuable, infinitely valuable members of your body. You purchased us with your very blood and have gifted us to be a part of your body. And so we want to walk in obedience. Help us to look at congregational authority today and see it for what it is. And uh, help me to preach faithfully. I trust that you're going to open our eyes to see and ears to hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, church members are not spokes in the wheel of the vision of the leadership. We've been looking at this over the last couple of weeks. Church members are not pawns or spectators of religious goods and services. As I, I said earlier, church members are Christians, and Christians have been purchased by God. And now they've been filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just does not come to one place, doesn't live in a building, God himself lives and indwells his people. That's the promise of the new covenant is that the spirit of God will indwell his people. Each and every redeemed and regenerate person in the new covenant community will have the Holy Spirit of God within them. That's the promise that we see in, uh, in, that we see in uh, Jeremiah and we see in Ezekiel. The Holy Spirit empowers us. And so as the body of Christ, we fulfill the role of what it means to be the body of Christ. Church members, each and every, have responsibilities and obligations within a local church. And authority. Each and every Christian, obligations, responsibilities, and authority in a local church. Whether you realize it or not, you govern as the congregation what's preached right here. Okay, Men and women, regenerate, born-again children in the room who are growing in their understanding of God's word, you have responsibility to regulate and to govern what comes into your ears. You'll be held accountable for what you listen to, the teaching you put yourself under. So we're going to look at that out of Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Go ahead and turn to Galatians. And we're going to look at several selected texts throughout the book of Galatians all the way into chapter 3. We're going to start with verses 1 and 2. And I want you to see first the authority that you have in the local church. The authority of the congregation or church members. Galatians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle. Oh, by the way, I'm back to the ESV. I had a, a little route in the NASB for about a month, but most of the people in the church use the ESV and those pew Bibles are the ESV. And so really I thought it's either uh, everybody else kind of changes their Bible over the next several years and gets annoyed in the process, or I just stick with the ESV. And, and so I went back to the ESV. So that's what I'm reading from today. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the other brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. You guys see that? To the churches of Galatia. This was a letter, unlike the book of Philippians, that letter was addressed to the overseers and deacons in the churches of Philippi. The churches of Galatia are in four primary towns. We see them planted in the book of Acts. We see in about chapters 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there. We see the churches of the Galatian territories being planted. And so Antioch of Pisidia, um, Derbe, Lystra, those are the churches in the region of Galatia. So this territory with these little communities in that territory. This letter was written to the churches in this region. Okay, It was addressed to the churches. That's very important when we look at what's said in the letter. I want you to look at verse uh, 6 through 9 now. I am astonished that you who so quickly, you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some of you 
who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The churches of Galatia, not simply the elders or the overseers and deacons, the churches in Galatia were held, held responsible for the preaching of the, of the word. They were held responsible for the false teaching. And Paul said, I am astonished. You once knew the gospel are being drawn away from the gospel, the, the gospel that was once preached. And he goes to the effect to say, if anyone comes to you, if me, an angel of heaven, if anyone comes to you and preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be damned if he preaches another gospel. But he held the church accountable for what they listened to. They were listening to lies. They were listening to partial truth. They were letting it entertain them, and they let this false teaching in, and they should not have done it. And so the apostle, through the Holy Spirit, holds the churches accountable for what they were listening to. You shouldn't allow false teaching to be in your midst. And he said, I'm astonished. You were starting well, and then... You let this false teaching come in. In chapter 2, we find out that this was not just a, a difficulty or a problem in the churches of Galatia because it was also happening in and throughout Antioch as well. And the apostle had to step in and actually intervene because Peter and Barnabas were led astray by the same kind of teaching, the same kind of false teaching. In chapter 2, we find out what was happening because there were people adding to the gospel of Jesus. Look in verse 11. But when Peter came from Antioch, I, Paul speaking, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Before certain men came from James, that was from the church in Jerusalem, so they came up to Antioch, which is where Peter was. Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, so this was uh, uh, Christian, uh, Jews who had been converted to Christianity, when they came up to hang out with the Gentile church, when they came, Peter drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Peter and Barnabas felt the cultural pressure of these Jewish believers coming into this Gentile church. And Peter, although a Jew, was fine hanging out and spending time with these Gentiles, hanging out with them, breaking bread with them, celebrating what God had done in their life when those who were sent from James came, they got nervous. It was like their palms started sweating and like, okay, I can't hang out with these Gentiles anymore. I need to go hang out with, with these Jewish Christians. Barnabas was even led astray. Now, Peter and Barnabas had done some good work, and yet they were being seduced by this false teaching. And now, Paul has to do something about it. Paul intervenes and he does it publicly. You could almost hear the argument from those who were defending Peter and Barnabas, like, Paul, couldn't you have just done this to the side? It would have been a whole lot nicer if you just took him out back and took him out to eat and just, you know, just between you and him. And don't, don't do this publicly. You'll embarrass him. You know, it's like one of the, you know, 11th commandment in Christianity is be nice to everyone all the time and then don't offend anybody ever. And Paul addresses the situation in public and it was on purpose. Look what he does. Verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas or Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? The issue was going on in Antioch as well. This, this false teaching that the gospel, we see here in just a second, had it to be added to. That Jesus is great, his work is really good, but it's not quite Sufficient. This was the Judaizer problem. This was the error, is that they were saying that the gospel of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, that was really great, it was awesome, but you also, you also, to be justified, have to adhere to the law. You've got to be circumcised, and you've got to follow in, in accordance with Moses. Now, there's a big difference between saying, a man is justified, therefore obey. You're justified because of the work of Christ alone. Therefore, you should and must obey what God tells you to do. That's absolutely true. 100% orthodox. That's what we, we stake our lives on. God tells us how to live our lives. But it's a completely false gospel to say you have to obey to be justified. And that was the Judaizing heresy. Is that these people in Antioch and in the churches of Galatia were saying, 
To be saved, to be justified, you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did, and you have to be circumcised and walk in the way of Moses. And so Paul, knowing the issue at hand, he opposed Peter to his face in front of everyone so they would see the error of his ways and of Barnabas's ways. They were adding to the gospel. Um, we find out this clearly in chapter 2, and um, we find out what Paul says to correct it. Look at verse 19 through 21 in chapter 2. For through the law, I died to the law. That's that first use of the law. The law kills. Through the law, I died because it told me what I, it told me what I had to do and not do. And when I see the law of God, I see the holiness of it, and I see God's goodness, I realize I don't measure up. I see the holiness of God and his commandments. And I fail and fail utterly. I rebel. And so it slayed me. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And Paul rightly saw the issue at hand in Antioch, the issue at hand in the churches of Galatia with this teaching. It was a false gospel. It got a few things right, but it got everything wrong. And it was leading people on the path to hell. And so Peter, Paul had to address it. If righteousness is through the law, if you get justification that way, through the way that every other religion in the world says, by the way, if you get it that way, then why in the world did Christ come? His life and death is null and void if that's what righteousness is about, if that's what justification is about. And these churches let this false gospel in. Not just the elders, not just the overseers who were there, not just the lead pastors or the... Uh, you know, the apostles who were serving in those churches. It was the churches themselves that allowed false teaching in, and they should have, knew, they should have known better. They were seduced away. But Paul says the gospel is Christ in me and Christ for me. We have to get that in proper order. Christ is at work in you, but that's not your hope. The hope of your salvation and the assurance of your salvation Hear me say this, it's not your relationship with Jesus today. That's not the hope and the ground of your salvation. It's not even the work of Christ in you. That's not the hope, the bottom, the ground, the foundation of your salvation. Although it's very true, he is at work in you. The hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ is Christ for you. Those words are so huge. Christ is in you. But Christ is for you. He died in your place. And that's the ground. That's the foundation. So don't hang your hat of assurance today on how well your relationship is. Because if you do that, there's going to be times in your life when your walk with the Lord is filled with consistent spiritual disciplines. Where you're studying your Bible and you're memorizing verses. And man, your things are going really good. You're, you're going to church regularly. You're part of a small group. You're being discipled. You're discipling somebody. You're doing family worship. And things are going really, really well. Those things aren't the ground of your salvation or your justification. Neither are the valleys when it feels like your prayer is hitting the ceiling, when you haven't done family worship in a week and a half. You know, when, when you're just, I, I, I got to read my Bible today because it's been, a, it's been a grind and I have been neglecting hearing from God. The ground of our salvation, everyone who is justified, the foundation of it is Christ for you. That's why we come to this table every week. Not because of the great strides that we have made or that we haven't made, but because Christ is for you. He died in your place. He lived in your place, and he overcame Satan, sin, and death in your place for you. Christ for you. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For me. Verse 20. That's our hope. But that wasn't enough for the foolish Galatians. Look at chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your very eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you are now trying to be perfected by the flesh? He's calling out church members, congregations, 
the churches in the region of Galatia. Who's bewitched you, church? Beloved, you've begun by the Spirit. You're trying to, to work things out now by your own power? Somebody has infiltrated your midst and is teaching destructive things. Don't allow it. If anybody does that, let them be damned to hell. That's strong language, is it not? You should have known better. The church was held responsible for listening and tolerating false teaching. Now, this is absolutely huge. It has massive implications for you. Men and women, God will hold you accountable for the preaching and the podcast and the teaching and the videos that you listen to and watch. What is required of you, therefore, as God provides the resources and in the place of history we now live where we have the printing press, Gutenberg was a long time ago, we have the internet, we have these resources in our midst, and if they were responsible who didn't have home libraries and everybody didn't have a Bible or a New Testament even yet in their home, if they were responsible to recognize false teaching, how much more should we be equipped to recognize it? You have to be biblically literate. You have to know your Bibles. How are you going to know if I'm preaching something false? I can be pretty slick. If I was wanting to manipulate people, um, I could probably manipulate people. It, it happens in churches all over. This isn't just way out there. You've seen it. You may have been a part of it. How are you going to know if you're not in your Bible? If you're not reading good books? If, you're not, if you don't have a commentary on the shelf? If you're not going before the Lord and wrestling through this passage? We have to hear from God. That's why I love that our guys are going through Holiness by J.C. Ryle. Our ladies are going through, through the Sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink. It's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. God will hold you accountable. You have to know the gospel well. This was the issue in Galatia. It was a group of teachers that made things sound really good. It's not that we don't want you to love Jesus. Jesus is awesome. We love Jesus. But if you really want to be in, if you really want to be justified, there's some guys down in Jerusalem, and they've been telling me this. I've been getting their letters. You also have to be circumcised. And you're also going to have to get to work. If you want to be justified, you have to love Jesus, trust in him, and you really have to work hard the rest of your life. If you have an untrained ear, like, that can be like, oh, yeah, you're not sound, that sound, that kind of sounds right. That kind of sounds right. After all, we don't want a bunch of lawless people running around, do we? Like, so justification needs to be this thing that's out there that people are living toward. But the gospel says that God, the justification is something we're living from. You have to know these things. They didn't, and they let the false teaching in. Um, if you don't, your discernment, if you don't know the word, your discernment will be way off. You'll think you'll have discernment. But what you think you're functioning in, when you hear, if you don't have discernment, if you don't know the word, you'll actually hear the word preached, and you'll have false discernment radars go up. Because you're more catechized by the world and trained by false teaching than you are by the actual texts of the Bible. And so when you hear the scriptures preached, you're like, oh, that just doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. When you hear the biblical teaching on marriage, oh, that just doesn't sound right. When you hear whatever we hear in the scriptures, that just doesn't sound right. Your discernment radars are completely off. It's the complete opposite. We're actually sound doctrine sounds wrong to you. And I can't tell you how many Bible-beloved, Jesus-loving people can hear big sections of Scripture or verses in Scripture be like, I just don't know about that. That just does not... I, that's not the God that I worship or know. That's just... Uh, that's really offensive. Or that's just how you see it. That's not how I see it. But it actually... Just, I mean, it's like the words that it says... I don't know. It's really unclear. 
Don't confuse unclear with difficult. Because a lot of people think that things that they don't like in the scriptures are hard to understand, or they say, well, that's just unclear, when in reality, it's just, it's just difficult and you don't like it. You have to know the gospel well. Um, if not, the other option is just gather for yourself people that will tell you what you want to hear. And the Apostle Paul warns us of that. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4. And I want you to see the congregational authority. They were, held, they were to be held accountable. They were held accountable for letting false teachers. But this isn't the only place this happened. The warning in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 3 and 4 shows us a little bit about congregational authority. Churches have the obligation, the obligation to kick out false teachers or to leave if they can't kick them out. Don't listen. Don't just don't listen anymore. If you don't have the ability to kick them out, okay, then leave. Go somewhere else. But don't just sit there like, well, we can't do anything about it. Yeah, you can. You can get out or kick them out. Ride the troops and kick out false teachers. <laughs> Churches all over the country that need to have their leadership kicked out by the authority of their congregation. Look at verse 3 and 4 of chapter 4. For the time is coming. You know what? Just because it's so good, let's start in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. You know what that means, by the way? When the seasons appear to be fruitful, you just keep doing the same thing. You're a broken record preacher. Keep preaching the word. And then when the seasons seem to be away, like, man, it doesn't seem there's any fruit here. Oh, yeah, keep being a broken record. Just keep doing the exact same thing. Keep preaching. There's going to be seasons where God brings fruit and God brings, uh, you know, like visible fruit where you're like, oh, my gosh, you were preaching. People are getting saved and people are growing. And then other seasons where it feels like, and this could go on for decades where it feels like we're doing the same things we were then, but we're not expecting that we're not seeing the exact same results. Results, but in pastoral ministry, it's so interesting. If you have a business trained mind with pastoral ministry, you don't have any frame of reference for being out of season. It's unacceptable. We always have to be growing. And so we're going to do whatever we got to do to get this thing rolling. But faithful preaching requires you to be a broken record and do the exact same thing for the longevity of your ministry. I want to be a broken record and everybody that preaches here needs to be a broken, broken record the rest of our life. We're going to keep hearing from God. We're going to keep preaching God's word and we're going to see what God does. And hopefully, you know what? We'll see years down the road. I, here's what I think, you know, as I'm an old man, uh, you know, I don't know how old God, God lets me live, live to. Um, and I'm looking back, I'm going to be, I think I'll be able to say, you know what? We, it was a wild ride. It was so much fun. We had a couple decades. We had a, we had one decade. Oh my goodness! We get, we got to baptize like I mean, it was like eighty people. We got to baptize. It was just remarkable. And you know what? They're still there. We've got to see their kids, and now now their kids are you know one of their sons is now our our pastor, and they, we've got a great team. They all just grew up within our church. It's just amazing what God's done. And then we gotta say you know what? But like the 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 forties, the forties, not the nineteen forties, but the forties, twenty forties. Uh, you know that kind of was a little bit of a slow decade, and. Uh, but boy, in the 50s, whoo, God just, um, you look back, and, and it shouldn't be, well, here's, here's the reason we grew in the, in the 40s or in the 50s, because we finally figured things out. No, uh-uh. Like, we finally knew how to get the people in the door. We finally unlocked the church code. Be a broken record. Be a broken record. Keep doing the exact same things. Um, pastors specialize in insanity. They keep doing the exact same thing and expect different results. They expect that God's going to keep working one week and in one week it's going to be different than the next. But God sustains his people through his word. Verse 3 and 4. Wow, that was, that was a freebie because that wouldn't even, I wasn't even going to get into verses 1 and 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. 
Friends, congregations have authority. And, and Paul warns there's a time coming people will not endure sound teaching. They won't be able to listen to it. It will bother them. It's like it's, it's, it's nails on the chalkboard. I don't like that. And so instead of getting the sound teaching, they will accumulate, kick out good teachers, and accumulate, gather in, tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I want to hear. Just please, just, I want you to hear, and as soon as you don't tell me what you, what, what, I want you to hear, what I want to hear, as soon as you stop telling me that, you're out too. And there are many pulpits around the country as well, controlled by churches who can only tolerate preaching from behind a pulpit that tickles their ears. They, they, they don't have the stomach for the truth. Can't handle it. So they use their authority, they wield it in an ungodly manner to welcome in people who will simply let them sit in their passions. That's why people who don't know the word think that the word is wrong when they don't hear it. They just want to just, just, give me, just give me some sweet tea and that's all I ever want from the preaching. Just make it good. Make it sound good. Make it here. Entertain. And instead of changing themselves, they gather around themselves teachers that will just, just, just tell me what I want to hear. And uh, those teachers will pet their passions and lead them into myths. And myths can be entertaining for a while. It can be kind of fascinating for a while. You know, like, ooh, that's intriguing. I've never heard anyone else who can see what he sees. Wow. A general rule of thumb is don't follow somebody that can see what no one else sees. Um. As I said the last couple of weeks, like churches have the same, God uses us uniquely, but we all have the exact, we should all look at be doing the exact same things. Like you look at the book of Acts, chapter 2 and chapter 4, we do the exact same things still. Like if there's a need in our midst, would we not all be willing to sell something to meet the need? Like if we were so poor, we're really wealthy. Like everyone in here to a different degree and based on your cultural moment, where you are around the world. But would we not all be willing to do that if we knew somebody in our midst wasn't, didn't have enough food, for goodness sake? It's like, well, I, I'll give you food. Like, we, we share, we have things in common. That's not socialism, by the way. The Ten Commandments presuppose private property. Thou shalt not steal because that belongs to somebody. Voluntary exchanges we see in the New Testament. But what we see in... The book of Acts still happens today around the world, and it should be happening in every single church. Just how it is. So we gather in homes. We gather in this large group on the Lord's Day. Pray for one another. All the one another's we see in the text. But for many, they get seduced by the myths. They just want the fascinating. And those fascinating myth-preaching teachers can be so compelling and interesting. They can gather crowds and, and do really well at getting a lot of money to be donated. They have secret revelations that nobody else has, but they let you keep living the way you want to live. Because in the end, these false teachers want the praise of people more than the praise of God, and they're unwilling to offend you. And if you're in a place that's unwilling to let you be offended because of the Word of God, and does everything to lighten the blow, it's not a healthy environment. Now, the verse is, like I said last week, the reverse isn't that the preacher tries to offend everyone. That's not the goal either, that I just want everybody to be walk, you know, walk out every single week and offend everybody. That's pendulum swing to the other side that's unhealthy and is not good. But you're going to be held responsible. Don't sit under bad teaching. Kick them out or go somewhere else. Remove the teacher or remove yourself. Or, or and if anyone starts in teaching anything that you think that's wrong, please come up and say, like, Jared, I don't agree with that. And here's why. You're like, oh, okay. Well, why? I could be wrong. 
And we open our Bibles together and we try to wrestle through it and come to an agreement or see, you know what, I, I said that in a too, that was too strong or I didn't say it strong enough or you were right, I was wrong. And we want to challenge each other. You have obligations to govern the preaching. Congregations are responsible for who and what they listen to. You have authority. Wield it wisely. Don't just come and participate or don't just come and consume and just go wherever you like to hear what you like to hear. Be challenged by the word of God and then wield the authority God has given you wisely. Function. That's the authority. Now, function of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 through 20. One body, many members. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a wildly popular passage and chapter for people to disagree about. It's the gifts of the Spirit and arguments rage on about the sign gifts and uh, the service gifts and which are for today or all for today or all not for today. How does this actually work in the body? And sometimes we can miss the forest for the trees because the big idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the other passages that we see... Uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, spiritual gifts, Ephesians chapter 4. Um, we, we need to see the big idea of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we are the members of the body of Christ. That each and every person that's been born again should be connected at a local church level and playing some part in that local church. The Jesus and me, Lone Ranger, I love Jesus but don't like the church because the church has hurt me, is no place, there's no place for that in Christianity. Yes, the church is going to hurt you because it's filled with people who still have indwelling sin. Our church, if you, get, if you connect here, here's what I promise you, over the years, somebody will offend you, somebody will hurt you, and here's what I can promise you, you will offend or hurt somebody else. We're, we're family. I mean, church, church is like the home. I mean, it, doesn't there seem to be at, at home or Christmas time or Thanksgiving time, at times tension. Well, at times there's going to be tension in the body of Christ. You've got to work through that. But I promise you, if you've been hurt, I'm sorry that you've been hurt. Join the club. And if you've been hurt, I don't want to speak in an arbitrary manner about your pain. If it's really bad, God meets us in that. But to be a part and a member of the body of Christ is to open yourself up to the possibility of being hurt. And Jesus is our chief shepherd. He's there to bind up our wounds. We come together because he's the perfect one, not because we are perfect. And so, we are one body, but many members. Sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. Um, has, has anybody in here ever been confused about spiritual gifts before? Okay, let me just say this, and I hope this is the case, and there's a uniqueness about our church that I think uh, should be an example. It can be an example. We're a church that has people on both sides of the aisle when it comes to the sign gifts, um, there are people in here that believe that all of the gifts of the Spirit are at function in the church today, around the world. Um, and also keep in mind, when you're hearing passages like this, or you see in the book of Acts, um, Dennis has always encouraged me with this, that the book of Acts is a 30-year book. And, and if anybody thinks that all of the book of Acts should happen every single time we come together, you're actually seeing things in the book of Acts that aren't there. Like, like 30 years into every Sunday is not normative, okay? So it's not normative to come together every single week and expect everything you see there because everything you see in the book of Acts wasn't happening week in and week out every single week, every single day, even in the time of the book of Acts. And yet we should expect God to do things like he did in that book to where every single church, even churches that are nervous about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, which we're not, by the way, um, every church that's even nervous about that, over a 30-year time span, if they had a, a book of happenings written over that 30-year 30, 30 time span, every single church should have a book of signs and wonders. Every church. Of miraculous things that are unexplainable where God intervened and he did something incredible and we thank him for it. And you just look over 30 years, you just accumulate this, all of this. But if we come and demand that on every single week, then we're doing something that is foreign to the scriptures. Just completely foreign to the scriptures. However, and so we have people on both sides of the aisle believe in the sign gifts that they're all for today and others who do not believe that the sign gifts are for today. Here's some big things we all have to agree on. We all have to agree on the fact that God still, still heals. 
We don't have to agree that individuals maintain a gift of healing perpetually. We're going to see the difference there. So people who believe in all the sign gifts believe that they're individuals gifted in the local body. And they have a perpetual gift of healing upon them to be exercised at, at different times. All Christians should agree that God still heals today. I mean, we're commanded to pray for that. And if anybody doesn't agree with that, that's deeply problematic. But God still heals. Also, we have to agree that the Holy Spirit indwells and empowers his people. Um, we all have to agree on that. That to be a Christian is to be indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit of God is empowering our lives. Our obedience, when we look at that, conviction, none of that comes from within ourselves. That's the Holy Spirit of God working in us. Moments that we are just so grateful. You know, here we saw, it's all that I can do to keep a hold on you, but that dream, hope, and is that he clings to me? Whatever the words are. That's how I sing. If you sit in front of me, that's how I sing. Even with the words on the screen, I just mumble the whole way through. But he, he keeps his hold on, you know, that, that hold on us. Um, the Holy Spirit, he's working in us, empowering us. We all have to agree on that. Absolutely. We don't have to all agree on tongues and prophecy and its proper work in a local church or it not working in the local church. We all have to agree on the big stuff of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, does that make sense? Like, this shouldn't be an issue of sectarianism. Where the differences in the belief and the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit and the, how they work in the spiritual gifts, it should not be, well, we have to have our church and we have to our, have our church. It, the, the cross of Christ is enough, even in a local assembly, to have differing opinions on that and views on that. To say, even passionately, yeah, I believe this is where I'm at. Okay, well, let's be generous with each other and... We don't have to all agree on that. But we do have to agree on those big things. That the Holy Spirit of God is empowering and working and leading. The big stuff. Now, let's look at the big stuff in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Okay? Um, let's go ahead and start in verse 12. All right? For, the, for just as the body has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of many members, but of one member. <laughs> That's the opposite of <laughs> what I'm saying. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body one body, many members. Jesus is the head. We are his body. Now, in verse 14 to 24, what we just read, what we see is that the body is independent and interdependent upon each other. The Lone Ranger stuff, out the window. The body of Christ is interdependent. Everyone belongs to the body and everyone plays a part. This is something we all have to agree on. Every single person in the body of Christ has to agree that we are members of the body of Christ. And nobody can say, well, I don't, I don't have a part to play. Yes, you do. We're just told you do. Everybody has a part to play. It's impossible to love Jesus and not be a part of the body. And it's hypocritical to say, I love Jesus, but don't love the church. It's just, you know, the simple thing, you know, that can really help you think through this, if you've not thought through this before, is if you come to me and say, Jared, I like you, but I'm not so crazy about Jordan. I'm like, hmm, well, I'm not too crazy about you, you know? <laughs> Jesus loves his bride. We're part of the body of Christ. And gifts of the Spirit are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. And there are different lists. And one of the reasons I think there are different lists 
is that it's not as important to nail down what specific gift, not that that's a bad thing, but what specific gift you have as it is for you to know that you are a part of the body of Christ, that you have the Spirit of God indwelling in you, and that God intends to use you. He's fashioned you for it. He's gifted you for it. For the task of doing your part, large or small, do something. We have a church full of people who want to do something, who are doing whatever is required. Whatever's there, okay. Uh, Walk up today, shake somebody's hand, smile, pick up a communion cup, put it in the trash. Encourage somebody today. Say, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you're here. There's something I can be praying for you about. That is playing a part of the body of Christ. Away with any notion that Christianity is just a personal religion. You just keep that between you and God. There is no frame of reference for that in the New Testament. It's not there, or the Old Testament for that matter either. But one thing we don't, we don't just consume. We, we feed. Certainly we come, and shepherds are to feed the sheep. We certainly come to feed, myself included. And certainly we receive encouragement when we come. We are not only coming to consume, we come, we've heard, you've heard this language a lot, you've come to contribute. That's why we open it up, because when we open it up to share, and we consider, whether you do or not, when you come here on the parking lot, you pull in, that's our Sunday gathering is started. That's our Lord's Day gathering. When you're out there, when there's fellowship, when we're hanging out out there, and we're leaving, when we go out to eat, that's the Lord's Day gathering. It's all a part. It's all a part of what it means to be the people of God, and play your part. Encourage somebody. You know, that, don't, t- how many people... How many people have been encouraged by somebody before and the other person had no idea they encouraged you? And if you said, like, oh, man, I don't even remember saying that. Like, okay, small things can go a long way when the Spirit of God is behind it. Just play your part. And I'm thankful that our church does that well. Obligations, Hebrews 13. That is the fact that we are members of the body of Christ. We all have to agree on that. There's no Jesus and me thing allowed. Away with that kind of... Nonsense. Obligations. Congregations have obligations. Hebrews 13. You'll see why this is somewhat weird for me, but I'm going to say it, and I'm not going to stutter when I say it, because I want to be um, obedient to the Lord in any kind of preaching and never want to... It's about obey your leaders and submit to them, which can feel weird, but it's the Word of God. Hebrews 13, starting in verse 17. Now, this can be twisted. There's a right and wrong way to understand this. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, already you've seen that congregations, that church members, are obligated to govern the preached word. Don't sit under bad teaching or boot, give them the boot or get out. But also, church members have a responsibility directly from God to obey their leaders and submit to them. A command of obedience and submission communicates authority. This is why local church membership being, it's a voluntary group. All churches are voluntary communities of people. Nobody forces anybody else to join any local church. But we do have commands to submit to your leaders. It's not submit to every single elder team in the whole world. It's submit to your leaders. The implications, I think, are massive when it comes to church membership. Christians should be members of local churches. There are specific people that I'm going to have to give an account for. And I don't have to give an account for every Christian in this community. Our elder team does not have to give an account to every single Christian in this community. Or in southern Illinois. That, that's not the deposit that God has entrusted to me. There are churches larger and small, and their eldership teams are going to be held accountable for the deposit entrusted to them. Likewise, you are not obligated to obey and to submit to leaders of every single church out there. Wherever, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, you voluntarily join, you're obligated to submit to those particular leaders. And I think membership is a requirement of all believers. Become a member of a local church. Submit yourself to an authority voluntarily. Elders have real authority in a local church. And it's important to know, like I said, it's your leaders, voluntary community. 
When a person decides being a part of a local church, they're saying, I'm willingly putting myself under an authority that's going to be held accountable by, held accountable by God. And I'm willingly, as we stated in Galatia, I'm going to go in and do my part. I'm going to play my part. Therefore, if you can't say, who are my leaders that I'm supposed to obey? But then you got to ask your question like, okay, I better find them. I need to find them. And we have people joining the church today. And uh, it's a noble and honorable thing. There's some people who wrestle and pray through some of those things, but I think the command is clear. When a person decides to be a part of a local church, they're willingly putting themselves under the authority of those local church elders. Now, these leaders are shepherds. They are to do this willingly, not under compulsion, not for shameful, shameful gain, but as God would have them. They are the shepherds, the people are the sheep. That's the metaphor, although we maintain, I maintain, being a sheep with a shepherd. But we have to keep in mind that the leader's authority is not to be domineering or controlling. It should be life-giving. So when that leadership gets to the level of control, where you're not making decisions for yourself, or you feel like you're paralyzed because you can't make decisions because you just have to wait, this is not a meticulous, domineering kind of like a, a dictator-like leadership. Again, this is a voluntary community. So you don't have to come to me for, make some decisions. You have the Holy Spirit of God within you. You have God's wisdom that he's put upon you. And so if I try to control your life, tell you what to do with this or that or this or that, and the elders are coming by and visiting houses and saying, you got to do that, that's not what this is talking about. In the same way, the husband's authority is expressed with generosity in his home through servanthood or parents' parental authority to children is not to be abusive but life-giving. So should shepherding in the local church. That's what leadership should look like. Life-giving leadership. But it is real authorities. These leaders will have to give an account for how they wielded their authority. Was it for good or for harm? Was it for selfish gain or selfish ambition? Or was it for God's glory or their glory? They'll have to give an account. But then the command goes back to you. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage for you. Now, uh, we don't have any troublemakers at this church, which is amazing. But I've been a part of churches. <laughs> like, um, you remember that TV show with Ashton Kutcher called Punked? Where, like, uh, it was this old... Don't watch MTV, but it was when I was younger. There was this, uh, this show called punked and they would set up these situations and the people would be like be like what is happening this is a really weird situation then Ashton Kutcher would show up with this other guy and they'd be like you've been punked it was like a practical joke I, I, I have been a part of church situations where I thought it's so outlandish it's so bizarre that I thought cameras were about to bust out around the corner like are you you're upset about that is this like are, is this you're, you mean you're really upset about this? And they were really upset about that. Where it's just, don't be like that. <laughs> we have nobody in this church like that. I'm so glad. Don't be like that. Don't be annoying to your leaders. Like, don't, don't do that. Don't make life so hard or difficult. Or don't make them, upon seeing you, be like, oh. <laughs> Power prayer, God. Give me strength. Set me in my prayer. God, help. Don't be like that. Uh, I, I want to commend you. Um, you guys are, I really love you guys. And as an elder team, we consider it a great joy to shepherd you. Because I think with these commands, there are so many things as we look at congregational authority that you guys do well. And honestly, if I was to preach something off, or twist or contort the gospel, I feel like I'd have a line of people out here. Like, just a line of people. Like, dude, you, you know, and it would be bad. I would have a line of people telling me, dude, that was not right. Um, that's, that's good. Um, we have a, I just don't want to take for granted what God's giving us. We have indwelling sin. We have issues that we have to deal with. But in this area, I just want to commend you. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. You guys don't make it difficult. Um, and if you did, it would be of no advantage to you. 
if our elders were always miserable because our people were annoying, like people being led by pastors that are just annoyed with them, that's of no advantage. Like that's what Paul's like. That's of no advantage to you. So if you're always the thorn in the side, and I'm just so thankful that we get to serve where we get to serve with the people we get to serve. It's just an amazing thing. You guys make pastoral leadership a real joy. Sometimes I, I look at the internet or I hear different things that go on. And I'm like, man, that's just so foreign to, to what I've experienced now. And I know what I've experienced before. And this is just so fun. And I expect that we're going to have difficult times. I mean, I expect that we may get, as God brings more people, we, we may get some annoying people. <laughs> like, we're going to love them. But I'm just so thankful for what, what God's doing. We're so thankful. Congregations have authority that they must wield. You must know the gospel well. Christ for you. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, then there's an invitation. There's always an invitation. And if you don't know him, you can repent of your sins by God's grace and trust in Christ today. Experience life. Drink from the well that will never run dry. There's no price. He's paid it. Come to him, repent of your sins and doing things your way and trust in Jesus. The promise is that he will make you a new creation. You'll start to be, some people, it just, there's just drugs to Jesus, miraculous, and others, the Spirit of God dwells them and it looks a little bit different, but the common thing is that there is repentance and faith and then a lifelong commitment to just following their king. And then for believers, I just, God's at work. Thank you. Wield the authority God has given you well. It may mean getting some, uh, getting your Bible reading plan and being committed because you know that there's an obligation upon you to know God's word. Read your Bible. Get in the word. We live in a wonderful time where it's on our phones and we all have it in our homes. In our phones and our homes. Study your word. Know it. Know the Bible. It's not rocket science. You can get in here and you can study this and know it. Wield your authority wisely. Secondly, be a part of the body. I love that we have so many people here. Sometimes it's just some new families last week. Derek Wright, they're not here. They're on the word. Derek and Lee are today. But uh, Derek, Derek was organizing a big group of people to go out to eat, play your part. And sometimes it's just getting people together to go out and get some Sergio's or something. Your Sergio's, Zach would be on that right there. All about some Sergio's. And then finally, you have obligations. You have obligations in a local church. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Just ask that you would lead a unique sermon today. Uh, but God, you have a way of bringing conviction and leading us. And so I pray that if there's any of these areas that we need to grow in, and I, I know there are, they're for me and for every, every person in here. God, help us. Holy Spirit, lead us. I trust you're going to. Uh, we just want to honor you. Thank you that congregations do have responsibilities and obligations. We're not just passive uh, people just going to... Uh, you know, going to the theater to be entertained. We come and we're actually a part of your body. You have indwelled us with your spirit, and I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, lead us in all we say and do from here on out. Bring conviction. I trust you will in Jesus' name. Amen.